Chapter Six of Louise de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Snowza, Houston, Texas, April 2013. Louise de la Valliere by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Six, showing what could be seen from Planchet's house. The next morning found the three heroes sleeping soundly. Truchen had closed the outside blinds to keep the first rays of the sun from the leaden-lidded eyes of her guests, like a kind, good housekeeper. It was still perfectly dark, then, beneath Porthos's curtains and under Planchet's canopy, when D'Artagnan, awakened by an indiscreet ray of light which made its way through a peek-hole in the shutters, jumped hastily out of bed as if he wished to be the first at a forlorn hope. He took by assault Porthos's room, which was next to his own. The worthy Porthos was sleeping with a noise like distant thunder. In the dim obscurity of the room, his gigantic frame was preeminently displayed, and his swollen fist hung down outside the bed upon the carpet. D'Artagnan awoke Porthos, who rubbed his eyes in a tolerably good humor. In the meantime, Planchet was dressing himself, and met at their bedroom doors his two guests, who were still somewhat unsteady from their previous evening's entertainment. Although it was very early yet, the whole household was already up. The cook was mercilessly slaughtering in the poultry-yard, Celestine was gathering white cherries in the garden, Porthos, brisk and lively as ever, held out his hand to Planchet's, and D'Artagnan requested permission to embrace Madame Truchin. The latter, to show that she bore no ill-will, approached Porthos, upon whom she conferred the same favor. Porthos embraced Madame Truchin, heaving an enormous sigh. Planchet took both of his friends by the hand. "'I am going to show you over the house,' he said. "'When we arrived last night it was dark as an oven, and we were unable to see anything, but in broad daylight everything looks different, and you will be satisfied, I hope. "'If we begin by the view you have here,' said D'Artagnan, "'that charms me beyond anything,' I have always lived in royal mansions, you know. Then royal personages have tolerably sound ideas upon the selection of good points of view. I am a great stickler for a good view myself, said Porthos. At my chateau at Pierrefonds, I have had four avenues laid out, and at the end of each is a landscape of an altogether different character from the others. You shall see my prospect, said Planchet, and he led his two guests to a window. Ah, said D'Artagnan, this is the Rue de Léon. Yes, I have two windows on this side, a paltry, insignificant view, for there was always that bustling and noisy inn which is a very disagreeable neighbor. I had four windows here, but I bricked up two. Let us go on, said D'Artagnan. They entered a corridor leading to the bedrooms, and Planchet pushed open the outside blinds. Hello, what is that out yonder, said Planchet. The forest, said Planchet. It is the horizon, a thick line of green which is yellow in the spring, green in the summer, red in the autumn, and white in the winter. Ah, very well, but it is like a curtain which prevents one seeing a greater distance. Yes, said Planchet, still one can see, and at all events, everything that intervenes. Ah, the open country, said Porthos. But what is that I see out there, crosses and stones? That is the cemetery, exclaimed D'Artagnan. Precisely, said Planchet, I assure you that it is very curious. Hardly a day passes that someone is not buried there, for Fontainebleau is by no means an inconsiderable place. Sometimes we see young girls clothed in white carrying banners, at others some of the town council, or rich citizens with chaucers and all the parish authorities. 
and then too we see some of the officers of the king's household i should not like that said porthos there's not much amusement in it at all events said d'artagnan i assure you it encourages religious thoughts replied planchet oh i don't deny that but continued planchet we must all die one day or another and i once met with a maxim somewhere which i have remembered and the thought of death is a thought that will do us all good i am far from saying the contrary said porthos but objected d'artagnan the thought of green fields flowers rivers blue horizons extensive and boundless plains is not likely to do us good if i had any i should be far from rejecting them said planchet but possessing only this little cemetery full of flowers so moss-grown shady and quiet i am contented with it and i think of those who live in town on the rue des lombards for instance and who have to listen to the rumbling of a couple of thousand vehicles every day and to the soulless tramp 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 of a hundred and fifty thousand foot passengers but living said porthos living remember that that is exactly the reason said planchet timidly why i feel it does me good to contemplate a few dead upon my word said d'artagnan that fellow planchet is a born philosopher as well as a grocer monsieur said planchet i am one of those good-humored sort of men whom heaven created for the purpose of living a certain span of days and of considering all good that they meet with during their transitory stay on earth d'artagnan sat close to the window and as there seemed to be something substantial in planchet's philosophy he mused it over ah ah said planchet if i am not mistaken we are going to have a representation now for i think i heard something like chanting yes said d'artagnan i hear singing too oh it is only a burial of a very poor description said planchet disdainfully the officiating priest the beadle and the one choister boy nothing more you observe monsieur that the defunct lady or gentleman could not have been of very high rank no no one seems to be following the coffin yes said porthos i see a man you are right a man wrapped in a cloak said d'artagnan it is not worth looking at said planchet i find it interesting said d'artagnan leaning on the window-sill come come you are beginning to take a fancy to this already said planchet delightedly it is exactly my own case i was so melancholy at first that i could do nothing but make the sign of the cross all day and the chants were like so many nails being driven into my head but now they lull me to sleep and no bird i have ever seen or heard can sing better than those which are met with in this cemetery well said porthos this is beginning to get a little dull for me and i prefer going downstairs planchet with one bound was beside his guest whom he offered to lead into the garden what said porthos to d'artagnan as he turned round are you going to remain here yes i will join you presently well monsieur d'artagnan is right after all said planchet are they not beginning to bury yet not yet ah yes the grave-digger is waiting until the cords are fastened round the bier but see a woman has just entered the cemetery at the other end yes yes my dear planchet said d'artagnan quickly leave me leave me i feel i am beginning already to be much comforted by my meditations so do not interrupt me planchet left and d'artagnan remained devouring with his eager gaze from behind the half-closed blinds what was taking place before him the two bearers of the corpse had unfastened the straps by which they carried the litter and were letting their burden glide gently into the open grave at a few paces distant a man with a cloak wrapped around him the only spectator of this melancholy scene was leaning with his back against a large cypress tree and kept his face and person entirely concealed from the grave-diggers and the priests the corpse was buried within five minutes 
The grave having been filled up, the priests turned away, and the gravedigger, having addressed a few words to them, followed them as they moved away. The man in the mantle bowed as they passed him, and put a piece of gold in the gravedigger's hand. "'Mordieu!' murmured D'Artagnan. "'It is Aramis himself!' Aramis, in fact, remained alone, on that side at least, for hardly had he turned his head when a woman's footsteps and the rustling of her dress were heard on the path close to him. He immediately turned around, took off his hat with the most ceremonious respect. He led the lady under the shelter of some walnut and lime trees, which overshadowed a magnificent tomb. "'Ah, who would have thought it?' said D'Artagnan. "'The Bishop of Vannes at a rendezvous? He is still the same Abbe Aramis as he was at Nuis-le-Sec. Yes, he added, after a pause, but it is in a cemetery. The rendezvous is sacred, but he almost laughed. The conversation lasted for fully half an hour. D'Artagnan could not see the lady's face, for she kept her back turned toward him, but he saw perfectly well by the erect attitude of both the speakers, by their gestures, by the measured and careful manner which they had glanced at each other, either by way of attack or defense, that they must be conversing about any other subject than of love. At the end of the conversation, the lady rose and bowed profoundly to Aramis. "'Oh, oh,' said D'Artagnan, "'this rendezvous finishes like one of very tender nature, though. The cavalier kneels at the beginning, the young lady by and by gets tamed down, and then it is she who has to supplicate. Who is this lady? I would give anything to ascertain.' It seemed impossible, however, for Aramis was the first to leave, and the lady carefully concealed her head and face, and then immediately departed. D'Artagnan could hold out no longer. He ran to the window which looked along the Rue de Léon and saw Aramis entering the inn. The lady was proceeding in quite the opposite direction, it seemed, in fact, to be about to rejoin the equipage consisting of two horses and a carriage, which he could see standing close to the borders of the forest. She was walking slowly with her head bent down, absorbed in the deepest meditation. Mardieu, Mardieu, I must and will learn who that woman is, said the musketeer again, and then, without further deliberation, he set off in pursuit of her. As he was going alone, he tried to think how he could possibly contrive to make her raise her veil. She is not young, he said, and is a woman of high rank in society. I ought to know that figure and peculiar style of walk. As he ran, the sound of his spurs and of his boots upon the hard ground of the street made a strange jingling noise a fortunate circumstance in itself, which he was far from reckoning upon. The noise disturbed the lady. She seemed to fancy she was being either followed or pursued, which is indeed the case, and turned round. D'Artagnan started as if he had received a charge of small shot into his legs, and turning suddenly round as if he were going back the same way as he come, he murmured, Madame de Chevreuse? D'Artagnan would not go home until he had learnt everything, he asked Celestine to inquire of the gravedigger whose body it was that they had buried that morning. A poor Franciscan mendicant friar replied the latter, who had not even a dog to love him in this world, and to accompany him to his last resting place. If that were really the case, thought D'Artagnan, we should not have found Aramis present at the funeral. The Bishop of Vannes is not precisely a dog as far as devotion goes. His scent, however, is quite as keen, I admit. End of chapter 6